Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome to another episode of Own Your Choices, Own Your Life. And today we are speaking with Gina Hassis. I am so excited about this episode because it has taken quite a few months for Gina and I to connect our schedules and has virtually required COVID to happen for us to be able to connect because her schedule has been absolutely crazy as she has blown up with her viral videos. So Gina is a speaker, disruptor, and professional cheerleader. And she's like literally one of the most down-to-earth, heart-driven people that I have ever met. I heard Gina speak. Gina and I spoke on a stage um, September of 2018. And I found out during our interview that her talk was five minutes long, which blows my mind because she is mesmerizing. So when she spoke, I remember sitting on my chair, like completely holding on to her message. To me, she really embraced vulnerability. And I haven't come across a lot of people who have done it, I mean, the way that she did. And she just, I, I, every single word was holding on to what she was saying. And her viral videos have amassed 40 million views, which then took her onto a completely life-changing uh, strategy where strategy where things took off in her business and she ended up speaking and in Europe and stages all over the world with unbelievable speakers. Again, very grounded, beautifully grateful human being. And with COVID being here, somebody has built her business as a speaker has now in a spot where it's like, okay, let's just shift gears. And what do we do? So I'm just beyond grateful to have this time with Gina on this podcast. You will take away so many nuggets and so much information, honestly, and just so much heart. I love her to pieces. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the show today, Gina. Thank you, Marsha. I am so juiced. This is going to be so fun. So fun. So, so awesome. I so appreciate your time. You're, I know you're a busy lady, and this is just a great connection to have. So we're going to start with five or six questions so people can get to know you, and then we'll dive into your story. So where are you from? Toronto, Canada. Born and raised. Always born and raised. Okay. Yeah. Um, most, are you a reader? Are you a reader? Oh, yeah. Okay, most impactful book that you have... Oh, come on. Oh, right up. Oh, come on, Marsha. Right that's brutal. Because, okay. I am, because I am a reader, that's an impossible question. Okay. Um, what jumps into your head right now, though? First thing that came up was uh, Big Magic by Liz Gilbert. That's one that, that I go back to. It's just, it blew my mind. Like, as a, as a creative, it was, it was pivotal for me. That's the first, but, oh, man. 
I mean, do you have a day? I can go off on books. You need resource. Like we need a resource to be able to pull. Oh gosh. I love, love, love reading. I'm a book whore. So I have, I have it all like beside my bed here. I have about 15 books and I, I don't read them. I don't read them through. Usually it, it's like whatever hits me that day, the energy of the book right now I'm reading Michelle Obama's book becoming just started chapter one. So Oh, nice. Nice. That's so awesome. Do you, are you a, a book holding person or are you an audible person or both? Uh, book holding. Book holding. Oh, book holding. Oh yeah. Cause I, I like to underline. I like to hold. I'm very tactile for sure. Mm-hmm. I like to highlight and I do like to write. And then I also like to have, there's some books that I do like to listen to an audible when I'm walking my dog, but the, if it's one where I'm taking notes or things are soaking in, I want the book. Copy yes. it. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, well, there you go. There's your first hard question. Second question <laughs> is, do you have a favorite quote or something that drives you? Like a, something that, that anchors you, a quote that you go back to? Um, okay. So, oh my God, I'm, I'm also a quote whore. So you're going to learn a lot about me very quickly. I love it. I, I, I love, it. I love, love. I have like five quote books that I'm working on. Um, the first, but again, I'm just going to go with the first one that intuitive, intuitively comes up was uh, Georgia O'Keefe. You can be the juiciest, ripest peach but there's going to be someone that doesn't like peaches. And uh, that's been uh, a hallmark for my journey most recently is just releasing that I'm not for everyone, not for everyone. Oh, I love that quote. I remember that quote years ago and putting it up on my Facebook wall and somebody going, I don't get it. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> never mind. Cause you're not like, you're not, you're not the peach, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. Oh, it's a great quote. Favorite mentor? Do you have a mentor? And it can be somebody you know or don't know, or somebody you've met or haven't met. Just a mentor who has been important in your life or journey. Mm. I have an interesting flip on 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 mentorship. So I yeah. an interesting take, I should say. Um, so what I will say is I am very inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm inspired by everyone, quite honestly, Marcia. Like inspiration's a circle. So I, you know, I have a huge tribe. I'm inspired by every story, every comment. Um, every question, every woman who who dares to say, I wore the red lipstick yesterday, or um, I'm leaving my husband. I mean, I get messages literally every single day. So I'm, I'm inspired by everyone. Um, but I don't have a mentor per se. I think I spent the first maybe 30 years of my life looking for a mentor. I had this vision. She was like wearing white and she kind of floated. She had wild hair. She kind of looked like Oprah, you know, big bosomed woman. And I imagine that she would like uh, you know, flutter down beside me and look over my shoulder and kind of guide me and, and give me instruction in terms of my life. Um, and I think it's called the Prince Charming Syndrome. Like I wanted someone to come and save me yes. and tell me what to do and how to. And what I realized is that there's something very um, precious about mentorship. And it's very hard to find someone who can mentor you without saying, this is the way. And I, I, I'm very uh, there, there's a lot of ego that, that needs to, and I say that with love, like it's, it's very hard to find someone who, who says, this is the way I did it. Now blaze your own trail. So mentorship is very, is a very sticky thing for me. So I'm not looking for a mentor, but I'm very inspired by everyone. Long-winded answer. It's not long-winded. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful answer. And I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And that is what an interesting thing or conversation to bring up, especially right now as we are in COVID, because there's so much available online and a lot of noise and chatter that if you are a person, if you're a listener and you're like, I want to do something with my business, 
it's, it can be really easy to get swayed into a bazillion different directions if you don't know who you are or what you want to do or create. Amen. Mm-hmm. I have not, mm-hmm. you know, I, this is my 26 years as a professional speaker. I have not done anything that they told me to do. I've done it the antithesis of what they tell you to do, uh, traditional, traditional um, ideas. And so um, I, I am, I identify as a disruptor. And it, that's not to say that I believe in just being badass for the sake of being badass. But I think that there are many, many ways, you know, it's like, we're like rays of a sun shooting in all directions. And I don't think there's any one way. And sometimes mentorship is predicated on the idea that there is a way people always say, well, how do I become a professional speaker like you? And I was like, you, you know, I can tell you my story and maybe inspire ideas, but there isn't a way. There are so many ways. And I think it stifles our creativity it makes us um, really get stuck in the lane of, of comparison and analysis paralysis and so many things. So I'm not a big fan of mentorship, but inspiration is very different. See, and this is this, there's just so many things that this sparks with me that I love what you're saying. And I've always been, I've always, I've always been inspired by you and how you just like, as we dive into this more, but you just did like, you're doing it your way. Like this, and I love that, that this is your, like, that is being true to you. One of the very first coaching programs that I was involved in, I will never forget. And I still, to this day, use this message in my own groups is the fact that she said, all of you could be doing the exact same program here, exact same speaking, coaching, whatever it is. If you can't find a way to bring yourself to the business, it's never going to fly. It's never going to fly. You have to bring yourself and show up as you fully. And if you do, there is no competition. That has always stuck with me. That's just always stuck with me because I think people get stuck on, but she's doing it, but she's doing it. And and there's competition here. So run your own race in your own lane, in your own time. Really keep your blinders on. That's probably one of the, the biggest things for me is keeping my blinders on. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly in the social media world where it's very easy to get swept up in what everyone else is doing. It's important. I mean, it's, it's helpful for sure to look at what other people have done, what's been helpful for them to get advice, to, to take programs and read books. I mean, I'm not bashing that or poo-pooing that. Yeah. However, um, I'm a big proponent of um, being connected to your intuitive knowing, a higher knowing that guides you and taking into account all the pieces and checking what resonates with you mm-hmm. and following that. So um, I love that. Not cookie cutter. Yeah. No, no, there's, there's so much. And we're going to come back and dive into that a little bit more. I have one more question for you before we okay. move on. What drives you? What drives you? Like what is something that lights your fire and drives you? Yeah. My, my highest value is courage. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a, I was a very um, reflective and observant child. And um, I was raised by a single mother for most of my life. And uh, my greatest influence was her and her father, who lived through the Great Depression and, you know, Second World War. And I remember hearing stories. There was a lot of conversation in my home and hearing a lot of stories about my ancestors and what they had gone through and the struggles that they that they came through. And I, something about that has always been part of me, like right beside my bed where I'm sitting right now, I have pictures of um, my grandmothers and I am so connected to their stories and the limited choices that they had. And I just, their, their, their stories and their limitation gives me legs. 
gives me courage. And so that's what really drives me is the opportunity to live the highest, most expressed life in their honor. And not just for my ancestors, but for those, those to come. I just feel an absolute need to, to live my fullest expression so that other people can get excited about living theirs. See, that's beautiful. Um, I think when you say it the way you did is the fact that um, the limitations that they had and, and, and really, I know we feel limited and we say we feel limited, but we don't like, we're not experiencing the same limitations by any means as far as what some of our ancestors experienced. Like, like, it's just right. Right. So I love that. I love that you say that and being able to express that and pay that forward. And I think then you become a light for others to see what is possible too. Yeah. I I call it um, being a model of possibility. You know, every single person who stretches beyond you know, the, the, the smallness that, uh, that we can get so caught up in anybody who stretches beyond their comfort zone is really being a model of possibility for other people. People are always watching and it's not just your kids and it's not like it could be coworkers. It could be, I mean, sometimes wearing red lipstick to the store, um, a model of possibility for someone who thinks maybe I can do that. And I think it's so important that, um, for me anyways, to, to be that for people. So that people look at me and say, well, well, maybe because she did that, I can do this. And that really drives me. I think it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I want to dive in because when we first met, I'm going to be wrong in the numbers, but um, I remember your video on YouTube having a few million views and then it just exploded. I want to, let's just, just back up for a second because you just said something that's so important. So many people watch that and think that's like an overnight success. She has that, like, she's got the tools. She's got that figured out. She's got this. She's got that. You just said 26 years experience, right? 26 years. So take us through your journey if you, and you can go wherever you want and wherever you start and then we'll, we'll continue the conversation from there. Uh, okay. So, oh man. So the, the too much woman video was, um, not intentional. It wasn't a business decision. It went viral. Now it's, I don't know, it's over, it's over 40 million. I don't really pay attention uh, that much anymore. I used to, I was like, oh my gosh, 10,000 views. Oh my God, a hundred thousand, a million views. views." And then it starts to blur. Like what's 20 million, 30 million, like it starts, but um, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't a business decision. It's not like I sat down and said, I'm going to write a speech that's going to go viral and change my life and birth a movement. It was none of that. Um, I had been speaking at that time for about 24 years, globally, publicly, uh, corporately. And um, someone tagged me in a post on Facebook and they were looking for a speaker to fill in the spot. Someone had dropped out of a speaking competition. I'd never been in a speaking competition, Marsha. And I had been speaking. I had nothing to prove. I typed one word. I typed one word. All I typed was interested. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history. I next thing I know, I'm in a speaking competition. I thought it was going to be 30 people in a bar. Like I had no, I didn't, I didn't know what it was about. So I actually just sat down because I'm a speech writer. Part of being a speaker is so I literally sat down and it had to be a five minute speech. Yeah. I sat down and wrote it. It was uh, originally called my Big Fat Greek Body, and it was a comedy sketch. And I put it away. I had 30 days. Then a couple days before the actual competition, I was sitting in my bed writing a corporate talk and I decided to, to look at the speech and just review it. Mm-hmm. And I had this wave of 
I don't know what else to call. It's kind of like a hot flash. Yep. Like, like a wave that said, you have something else to say, scrap this speech and rewrite it. And I remember having a conversation with myself, like, what? You don't have, you don't have time. This is a stupid little competition. You don't have time to rewrite this speech. You've got other things to do, like paying gigs to prep for. Yeah. But, um, but you I did. Knew. You knew. Uh, yeah, I knew. Right? There was something in me that says when, my, when that voice, I knew by now that when that voice comes up, there's no going around it. So I said to myself, okay, you have one hour. You have one hour to rewrite the speech. And I'll tell you that the too much woman just, I don't remember really writing it. It just kind of yeah. was written. And then I, I won the competition because I won the competition. They shared it online and then it went viral and all these people shared it, you know, like you know, Jim mm -hmm. Shetty and Goldcast and Ashton Kutcher. And then, so again, I, it was not part of the plan, um, consciously mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, it's changed literally the trajectory of my life, my work. But yeah, it, when I say, you know, people say overnight success. It's I laugh because I've been I have been speaker for 26 years. I was a journalist prior to that. Um, then I was a speaker for 26 years. But I think honestly, even before that, as a child, I was into theater arts and performance. And um, not only that, just now that I look back, Marcia, quite honestly, uh, it's only a five minute speech, but it's it's literally um, so rich with my experience. And so my whole life really has been preparing me not just for the speech but for the work that the speech has has birthed and so everything from my whole life dimming being told i was too emotional too sensitive too dramatic too smart too voluptuous too pretty too i mean to all the things mm -hmm. um and the the dance the tango of you know shining a little bit allowing myself to be too much and then dimming because there were repercussions, that back and forth dance my whole life has really prepared me for this current experience. I think that that is, A, is a great way to say it because I do believe every experience we go through prepares us for the next, prepares us for the next. It's like we just, we add on and tack on that experience. I've sat, I sat through, I, I remember being mesmerized by your, um, by your talk, but I think that you nailed it there in the fact that it's a story. It's, you do keep, it's, it's that five minutes. It, it was it really only five minutes. No, only five minutes. I know. Are you serious? Because I just remember being like completely mesmerized. I'm like five minutes. You had us all right from the beginning, but now knowing you have background in theater and arts too, like you held the stage. Well, you very much the way you spoke, you like the energy in the room that was there. So there's so many pieces that went into, it's almost like you say, divine timing, that that's how that happened. So talk us through what happens after that. How did that change the trajectory of your life and where things went? So that was 2018. The end yeah. Of yeah, I didn't really understand. Uh, it was funny because um, first, when it was, first went on social media, it got like a couple hundred thousand just on my page, on my personal page. Yeah. And so I thought that was in, like, I just was like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> and so, um, it just kept happening. And then I, I kept getting thrown in Facebook jail because I kept getting just messages upon messages and people okay. liking and commenting and trying to respond And my Facebook blew up. And so after a couple of months of that, I was like, what's going on? Like, I really thought, here's the truth, Marcia, this story about the too much woman, I thought was very personal to me. I actually didn't think anyone would get it. And a couple of days before when I was rewriting the speech, I called um, the host of the competition and I said to them, I'm changing my speech topic because I needed the new name. And I said, 
I know I'm taking a risk because no one's going to get this, but this is for me. I'm just, I'm a speaker writes their speeches for the intended outcome of, of the audience. It's like, what do I want them to take away? But this was the very first time I was delivering a speech that was just, just for me. It wasn't, it wasn't intended for anyone else because my whole life, all I've heard from other women that I work with is I'm not enough. I'm not enough. So I thought, who's going to understand too much woman? What I didn't understand even writing the speech is that, you know, too much is the opposite side of the same coin is not enough. You know, if we call a woman, you know, too sensitive, she's not tough enough. If we call, uh, you know, a woman too bold, she's not humble enough. And so it's just, it's just the linguistics that we use. And so what happened is I started to get really curious around why there are people from all over the world messaging me, telling me that's my story, that's my story. And so I actually held an event in Toronto and I asked a bunch of women to just come and have a conversation. It was just a night of conversation. And as I was driving down the highway to the events, I mean, this is how crazy the universe is. I'm in my car and my phone starts to blow up and it's like ringing, ringing, dinging, hitting, ringing. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And just, it's not, the timing was crazy because I was driving to an event to actually talk about like too much woman. It was like, what is this thing? Um, Goalcast, which is a huge online platform, mm -hmm. had just shared my video. And that's when it went super bonkers because that's when it hit Jay Shetty and Ashton Kutcher and it. And then it just was out of control. So it, 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 in the, in the short term birthed a movement, the too much woman movement, because I didn't know what to do with it. I, I was, mm -hmm. you know, it, it took me a year and a half to really understand what was, what it was happening. And here's the funny thing. Marsha, it was a five minute speech. Like I said, I didn't, it wasn't like I sat and really thought it through and thought if I was going to write a viral speech, what do I want? It was none of that. <laughs> it's only now that I'm understanding how deep and, and layered that messaging is. It was almost like I, I wrote it and now I'm actually unpacking it. Mm -hmm. um, does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Actually, I, um, I think because there's a lot to unpack. I think it, it opened up so many so many doors and feelings for people. So here's the thing. One thing that I pull out of what you just said is that it was, it was so personal to you to share it. And it was so deeply personal to you, which is why you delivered it so powerfully because it was personal to you, not because you, you went in with, you know, it's just, you shared from that space from what was personal to you. What happened is so many people like that, that to me watching you, cause I did get to watch you do that is a sense of like that is what vulnerability is like this is what people i think misunderstand what vulnerability is i think you were so vulnerable and open that you then dove into that that it was so much unpacking for you so many other women saw themselves in you then and went like oh my gosh like, how do i do that she's speaking about me she's talking about me it's a, it was a mirror of vulnerability it was just so real raw open and honest that even though i again we talk about this with stories i don't have your story but there were many parts of your story that i resonated with that i went oh god that was a gut punch i felt that one that was vulnerability yeah Thank you for saying that. You know, this, this circles back to the beginning of our conversation when we talked about mentorship because um, most business mentors will tell you, you know, find out what your audience needs to hear. Find out, you know, where their pain points are, what they're asked. Let that lead your content. And I actually did the reverse. I was like, what is true for me? What is the truest 
experience for me. And that will draw and magnetize the people to me. And so uh, that, you know, that's case in point that it's, I've, I've always done things ask backwards in terms of what, you know, the common, the common direction is around mm. uh, business. I think that's, that's the whole point too, is that there is no one way. There is no one way. If you're talking about, you know, not necessarily having a mentor telling you which way to do it, you truly call it a divine moment that you sat down and rewrote that the way that you did and that it unpacked and folded the way it did. I just think because you were that vulnerable, it connected with so many people. Now, as somebody who has shared very vulnerably many times, I do have to ask you the question, was it overwhelming? Was there times where you were like, I don't know what to do with this, or this is almost like just taking in, when you open up vulnerably like that, you allow so many people into that energy and space. And then all of a sudden you just blow up virally. What was that experience like for you? What was the experience of the response? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you feel any yeah. overwhelm in that experience? Did you feel any, or did you feel like complete trust or just did you have moments? What was it like? Um, in terms of being vulnerable, um, no, mm -hmm. I, I, I was comfortable sharing that much of my story, but where I was overwhelmed for sure was the vulnerability in terms of the response that I got. So people to this day share, I mean, I heard from like 70 year old priests who, you know, hadn't come out. Um, I heard from, you know, uh, 16 year olds who wanted to tell their parents they were pregnant or, I mean, I'm telling you like the stories are I'm sure. The vulnerability, the response that I got back in terms of vulnerability was very overwhelming because suddenly I felt um, that I, it was very precious and I, I had to find legs for myself to be able to hold the space for their vulnerability. And then I had to ask myself, okay, so now what's my responsibility here? Now that I've shared this and I've opened this up for all of these thousands of people, millions of people what's my responsibility here? And that was a little bit overwhelming mm -hmm. because I, I, like I said, I never intended. It wasn't like, I was like, here it is. I'm going to. And so I, I, I had to, I was reactive for the first year for sure. Instead of being proactive, I had, I was reactive. I was just constantly catching balls. And that was a little bit scary because I, I couldn't find my footing. Mm -hmm. And I'd say it's probably only until this past Christmas. So just a couple months ago that I really, I really feel now like I've got legs. Awesome. Um, what a great analogy, having legs, like just being able to, because we yeah. all grow into that next version, right? We grow into the next version that is able to handle yeah. what we have. And, and that just like, you, it just happened. So that part of it happened so fast for you that I was wondering how that felt as far as it just the, not like overwhelming that it makes you stop it. What a great way to say it. Reactive is in taking on people's responses. When you open up a door and being vulnerable, you allow people in you because you're inviting people to do the same, which is a beautiful thing. It's an absolutely beautiful thing, but it can also be a space if you're not careful with some kind of boundaries that it's, it's hard for you to manage at that. So do you, are boundaries a part of your yeah. life? 
<laughs> Did you get to finish the call, oh, girl? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yes. it's become like my new. I mean, I had to hire people just to take my messages because sure. uh, even just Facebook messages, because, you know, even just suicide is people who were suicidal or wanted to leave abusive relationships. I felt like I wanted to, res- I, this is not my niche. I don't know how to handle that. And I, so I was like, where do you live? And I'd be like Googling at 3 a.m. Australia, um, you know, hotline for suicide. Like I, so I had to. I, I had to really take care of, and I wanted to be honoring mm-hmm. where everyone was coming at, knowing that that was not for me to handle. Even to this day, I mean, I just got a message yesterday and it keeps me up at night sometimes because I think mm-hmm. where, what, where does my responsibility end? Um, it, so that, that part for sure. Yeah. It's a tough one, honestly, Gina. And I, I feel for you and I, I, I I mean, this is part of what happens of opening up the door and and open, which is a beautiful, like you said, it's a beautiful thing. But without boundaries, you can't sustain at the level that you are, which then who does that affect or impact because you can't continue. So boundaries are key. I I figured boundaries would be a part of discussion today that you would be able to do. So getting people to take care of some of your messages, things like that. What other boundaries do you have in place to help you be the best version of yourself? Yeah. Um, that's such a really good question because I think like for anyone listening, you might not have a viral experience, but for any of us who are daring to do anything new, whether it's write a book or start, um, dancing or, um, create art or, uh, start doing Facebook lives or whatever it is that you're stretching yourself, it's going to feel like your Bambi in the beginning, like your legs will be wobbly and it's going to feel uncomfortable and you you'll be uncomfortable because you're showing up differently in a new space. Yeah. But keep in mind that the people around you are going to be uncomfortable too. And mm. probably one of the scariest parts for me initially was, you know, with any, any time you're going to step into a bigger space than you are, you know, uh, shine a, a brighter light than you normally would, you're going to get a backlash of people. Nobody talks about that. They just talk about the glory. So there were a backlash. And now I'm not talking about online trolling and all that kind of yeah. crap. Like if it's strangers, I I was okay with it, but it was the people who I actually thought really cared about me that uh, were either critical mm-hmm. in the voice with the voice of love, like saying, um, you know, we, we, we really care about you, but don't you think you're, being a little like you're sharing too much, like don't touch. Yeah, you're being too much. Like you should cover up a bit. Like all, just all the criticism were worse, Marsha. What was worse? Worse was the people who uh, became absolutely silent. Um, like they just disappeared off the face of the earth. It was like my viral success made them feel, especially speaker colleagues of mine, mm-hmm. um, maybe threatened or I don't know what it was. But that was nobody talks about that. So the boundaries. Back to your question the boundaries that I had to learn to hold for myself was around keeping very precious to me, the few people who truly could hold my success, if that makes sense, could hold, could hold my new found legs and strength and, and, um, love me in that space. And it, it sounds, um, it sounds cliche, but, but truly not everyone can handle it's lonely at the top. <laughs> like it's lonely at the freaking top. And I, I was very lonely. And, and there were a lot of people who came out of the woodwork 
who wanted to, you know, ride on my coattails and I was just going to do affiliates, joint ventures. And some of them were, I'm sure, sincere, but I, I literally had over 150 agents, um, j- just everything. I mean, everything. Um, and so there were a few people that I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, sounds great. And then I got totally sideswiped. So boundaries, I had to learn. I st- Like I said, everything was reactive, wasn't proactive. So I learned some hard knocks about, you know, um, being very clear about the direction I wanted my business to go as opposed to people telling me what I should do. And I made a lot of mistakes. I made oh, a lot of mistakes. Yeah, I'm sh- and, and it's completely normal. I love what you said, though, about being, um, recognizing and honoring that you were reactive. See, like it's, we talk about that, you know, intentional is verse is the opposite of reaction. So the more intentional you are about what you want to create is the opposite of reaction. But sometimes life is happening so fast, you don't even have a chance but to but to react. And until you can do that, you can figure out what's going to work or isn't going to work. And it's, it's just a completely normal progression for how fast that change was. I love how you shared, though, again, speak of being vulnerable, how much your circle changed. And I, I mean, how could it not? It's not, there's no negative reflection on anyone. It's just that it would be almost impossible for it to not change. Yeah. And it got very small mm-hmm. um, and very precious. And, you know, my, my greatest cheerleaders were strangers, <laughs> like people like who were new to my work. They were like love, loving everything, sending me messages of, oh, please keep continue. You know, I look for your, your posts every day. You've helped me with this. And the people who I would have bet my life would have stood by me. Um, and, and again, this is not to, you know, it's really not to throw anyone under the bus at the time. I was very hurt. There's no question. I was just devastated. Mm -hmm. Um, and there were a lot of, you know, I could, I could tell a story of how, um, uh, you know, betrayal and, and hurt. And that really felt like the energy at the time. What Mm -hmm. I'm realizing now is, it was absolutely necessary and growing requires us to swim in new pools and um, it's okay. It's okay. I'm, I've released it all, but it was difficult for a time. I love that you said that to swim in new pools. Like I just absolutely, I think that that's just such a powerful thing that you just said there. Flipping the words and talking about too much and this versus, I always, it makes me think back to when I was a kid, I was born in the seventies. And at that time, I was considered constantly bossy. Yeah. And as a kid, constantly being told, like, you are not to be, like, not love, sorry, loving mom and dad if you hear this, but it's just not to, like, to be seen, not heard. And many times, even from grandparents, they're like, she has, her opinion's too strong. Yeah. She doesn't need to do, like, it's, it's, it was very much, Whereas I can't remember the quote, the quote is effective that leadership versus bossy. Like if we would just tell our girls that they can be leaders as opposed to stop being bossy. Yeah. Was it a bad thing? We never tell boy, not like stop being bossy. We would never say stuff like that. No, no. Yeah. And if a man speaks up, you know, he's being assertive. And if a woman speaks up, she's being a bitch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for sure. You know, it's funny because the too much woman speech, the original speech was written. The theme of the contest was body beautiful so that it was written around my too much body and being showing up in my too much skin. But the truth is, and I've unpacked this and I wrote about this in my book is my too muchness goes way beyond my physicality. It was being too loud, too bossy, too opinionated, 
again, too sensitive, too emotional, just, just too smart. Even, mm-hmm. you know, like I had a, a grade eight teachers like pull me aside and like, cause I was so, I loved learning. I loved school. I was such a nerd and I was just always like, yes. you know, this, and I, I was like, I wanted to share more and I wanted, and I remember um, my grade eight teacher, Mr. Boyle, he pulled me aside and he's like, you know, the boys aren't going to like that. Like, and give other people a chance. And I, I just, I, you know, there were so many times I was told to just simmer down, to contain it. Um, yeah. It's, it's an interesting time when you can start to look at that. So I can completely relate and understand what you're saying there. It is, so you start from there, it goes viral, you learn boundaries, you create change. That then goes into a speaking gig of 2020 that's like completely sold out pre-COVID. And you spoke at an event last year with, I would say, some of my, like, I just, I think, um, incredible, incredible women. So I just want to honor that. I can't even imagine what that was like. So who was there speaking at that event? Oh my God, that was... You know what I'm talking about. Yes, so the International Women... So I've been on a global tour just with the Too Much Woman movement, but one of the speaking opportunities was to speak at the International Women Summit. And so... Uh, oh gosh. Okay. So I'm going to name drop. This is so fun. I know. Um, Liz Gilbert, eat, pray, love Glennon Doyle, who is like one of the most uh, one incredible, of my powerful, um, Dr. Tara Trent, who is Oprah's number one favorite guest of all time. She's become actually a dear friend, Dr. Christian Northrup, who's like the number one OBGYN of all time. She's wrote probably the, I was reading her books like at 16. Mm-hmm. Everybody, every woman should know about Dr. Christian Northrup. She's life-changing. Um, Cheryl Strayed, yeah. uh, um, I'm missing some, um, Zainab Golby, who I, just, like fierce women who I just aspired to, to just read and know about. And, um, I remember, I got to tell you a funny story about that Ooh. to talk about humbling. So all the speakers, it's a three day event and all the speakers lunch and dinner together. And we have like, like, it's just, it's beyond. And all I, I just really wanted to just be a fly in the wall. Like I didn't, it was enough just to be there. I didn't, like I was just eating my lunch, just being in a room full of these women. Like I never felt so, I was just, and it wasn't just being starstruck. I was just so um, in awe of and and observance of who they were and how they showed up. And so I'll never forget, I was part of a speaker panel and it was like a luncheon and the VIPs paid extra for the speaker panel. Mm -hmm. So they had a bunch of us, try to imagine like Laverne Cox, you know, try to imagine a bunch of powerful (laughs) women all lining. And I thought to myself, they're going to put me like dangling off the end, like just have me there. And I thought, I'm just happy to be sitting on the panel. Like no one's going to ask me a question. I'm not even going to open my mouth. I'm just happy to sit there and just someone take a picture, right? That was all like, someone take a freaking picture. I think Marlo came out and I was like, someone just take a picture of this moment. And there was one moment, one of the questions like about halfway in, uh, talked about legacy. What do you want your legacy to be? And I found my, so Lisa Nichols, who was like, I love Lisa Nichols, like the number, she was sitting beside me. I can't remember who was on my left, somebody else. So Lisa Nichols is sitting beside me and I'm just like, and the funny thing is the way they sat us, I was right in the center of this panel. Like, really? I was like, this is a mistake. Do you want me to move? Because I'm in the wrong spot. And I'm sitting beside Lisa Nichols and someone else. And they asked a question about legacy. And um, the, the moderator said, Gina, because at this point I was just like nodding. I was, but I was sweating, right? So Gina, what do you think? And I leaned forward and I, 
I just literally spoke from the heart. I was like, I'm not concerned about legacy. I'm not concerned about what I'm going to leave behind. My goal is only to live my, my too much, just to be fully myself. That's my only goal. And Lisa Nichols slapped her hand on the table. She turned to me and she said, holy shit, woman, whatever she said. And then Dr. Christian Northrup said, yeah, I have no comment, whatever she said. And every question after that, they kept flipping it. What does Gina say? And it was, so Lisa Nichols grabs my hand and for the whole rest of the hour, she's holding my hand, she's hugging me. And at the very end, she's, she's just affirming me. I mean, I tell the story only to say, an experience like that, I get emotional even just retelling. Like, sure. An experience like that, what it tells me is that anybody mm-hmm. can be sitting in that seat, yeah. in my seat. Mm-hmm. You know, anybody could be, everybody has, everyone listening has a story, an experience, lessons learned in their life. And I had the exquisite opportunity to sit there and see my my magnificence mirrored. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's all of ours to claim. And, and I feel like I was like just the, the person who was just picked to be put there so I could, I could show. It's not that these people are, I mean, they're magnificent and they're wonderful and they're brilliant, but so, are, so is everyone. Everyone has a story. Anyone could sit on that panel and tell a meaningful story. And I, that's what I took away. It was like, it, it could have been any one of us because mm-hmm. we all have something to share. And that, that really was a highlight probably of my life is just stepping into that grace. Mm -hmm. I, there's just so many things you said there. And I know, I, I mean, from what I know of you and how I know your heart, there's no part of this that is a name dropping. It's a fact of what you're saying. Everybody has that opportunity and we can all, like, it's just, I, I feel so strongly that we can all be leaders in some way, shape or form in our lives when we learn how to lead ourselves and we lead ourselves by learning to trust ourselves and to speak. So what a beautiful answer, an absolutely beautiful answer and love that you shared that. I absolutely love that you shared that. I watched that. I watched highlights. My very good friend, Kelly, was there. Kelly Thorne was there. And oh, she, yeah. yeah, so she had gotten some pictures and she was. Just, she just loved the event. She said it was absolutely just an incredible event. Incredible event. Incredible, powerful women and speakers. So, yeah. I have to tell you one more funny story. Oh, this is just yeah. too good not to tell. So, so Dr. Tara I. Trent is Oprah's number one favorite guest of all time. I didn't even know who she was before the event. So I see this woman. She's got an incredible story about how she came from Africa she became a doctor and blah 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 okay she's up on the stage and this woman is in order like she is she is telling a story with such passion and she's she's owning the stage and she's walking around. and I'm in the front seat and I you know I've got like Liz Gilbert beside me like I'm bawling my eyes out because this woman is so powerful and all of a sudden I notice that on the stage, Dr. Tara I. Trent starts to cry and she's got tears streaming down her face. And as a speaker, I mean, you, it's just not something that we typically do, right? No, like you, no. And so I'm gobsmacked. I'm like, I can't believe she's crying telling this story. Like, wow, she is just so moved. So right after she speaks, we go and have a private lunch and I happen to take the seat beside her mm-hmm. and she's sitting beside me and I turn to her shyly and I say, Dr. Trent, I, I just have to say, I was so moved by your talk just now. And I, I'm so moved that you were so moved that you were actually crying. Like, I, I just, I've never seen that before. And she turns to me 
<laughs> and she says, girl, I wasn't crying. She goes, my eyelash glue started dripping into my eye and my eyelash was half off. And it was like, so my eyes were tearing up and I was like, what? And she said, this is, there's the, here's a pivotal part. She said, I walked, oh my God, it just, I get chills. She said, I walked into this event and I looked at all the beautiful women here and I thought, how am I going to take the stage looking the way that I do? Because she wears just a, you know, a, a large muumu and her hair in a turban and no makeup. And she said, and I felt so intimidated. Oh but I said to my assistant, can I try fake eyelashes and put some makeup on so I can measure up to these beautiful women? So she took the stage wearing fake eyelashes for the very first time because she felt, and this is a woman who's freaking Oprah's favorite guest. Like she's tours the world. She's the most... They just raised a monument to her in New York City. And she was intimidated and put fake eyelashes on because she saw the other speakers. And if that is not wow, the most powerful story of how the human experience, I don't know what is. And so we had a great laugh. So she was actually talking to me with one eyelash off <laughs> and one eyelash on. And we just had such a piss. I mean, <laughs> so I just had to share that story because the humanity, the humanity of it was, you know. It's on a pedestal, but no, it's, I think that's exactly it is. And we, then we always have that moment, the imposter syndrome moment where it's like, don't think, I think I've got this and I feel good about my message. And then all of a sudden you step into the next level and you're like, Oh crap, I don't know if I belong here. Like This is just this doubt and back and forth. And it's, it, what did I, I just read something in Brennan Bouchard's book that I feel like it slapped me across the face. And it was something to the effect of what is it that you are so afraid of about getting to the next stage or the next level? And her response was that because I'm barely coping with the one I have. And I went, oh my God, did that ever just hit me that it's like, he's like, okay, so how can we be in a position to like believe that we deserve to be there more, to trust that more? Like instead of going, I can't cope here, what does it look like to step into the next best, next bigger yeah. stage of ourselves? Yeah. Um, I have so much to say on that. I, I will keep it really tight yeah, and say good. this. Um, because since COVID, um, I've, I've obviously I'm homebound and I've, I've really looked at it as an opportunity. I was taken out at the knees initially. And then I really sat with the opportunity to, I haven't been able to stop for almost two years over no. two years. So, okay, I'm going to sit in this and I'm going to really just sit with what have I learned? Uh, if I could, you know, just kind of, if everything could just pause, um, what is it that I, that I really truly have taken away from the experience? And it's, it's a lot, but the core thing, and I, I just launched a master, a free masterclass. If anybody wants it, it's free oh, awesome. in, my, in my group. It's a five day um, masterclass on one of the most important things that I learned that's in response to your question right now or your comment, which is all about self-trust. It's the cultivation of self-trust. Mm -hmm. I can teach, you know, people always say, how can I be as competent as you? How can I show up the way that you do? How can I step into this thing that I really want to do and not feel like I'm comparing myself to other people, not get knocked out at the knees when people criticize me. You know, what? how can I move or grow or expand in any way? And, you know, there are a bunch of confidence tools. There's a bunch of like visualization, all the stuff that I do. However, the core, the root that will, that will hold you, that will anchor you during, during any kind of expansion is self-trust. 
And so I go through a five-day free masterclass called uh, Igniting Your Self-Trust. It's the nine, nine things that just came, like I said, it just worked right through me. Because, Marcia, here's the thing. It's, it's not about just having courage. It's not just about having faith. And a lot of people misunderstand self-trust. They think that self-trust means I'm going to, I'm going to nail this, um, prep for this speech and then I'm going to go kill the speech or I'm going to, you know, prep this, um, coaching business. I'm going to look at all the pieces, do the website, and then I'm going to just go out and attack it. Or, you know, I'm going to open myself up to love and I'm going to finally find the love of my dreams and it's going to work. That's not Mm self-trust. Self-trust is the assured reliance that no matter what happens, I can handle it, that I have the tools, that I will not abandon myself, that I will do what I need to do to take care of me, that self-trust. And so um, that came very clear for me because you you were just talking about like, how do I, like Brendan Bouchard, how do I step into that next thing? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really rooted in self-trust and there are principles that help us to develop our self-trust muscle. That's beautiful. I think it's, I think it also outlines, I mean, we know this, but we really do forget it is that you don't just jump into one stage. You go through these stages to get to the next level, to the next level, to the next level, whatever those levels are, more people that you're impacting. Like the bigger, I, the bigger the circle and the bigger of the impact that you're creating, the more open and vulnerable you are. So the more important boundaries are, the more important you really are in tune with what's important to you. So before we talk, like, I just want you just to paint a picture. Obviously everybody's lives have been infected by COVID. Totally not. I mean, all of us, but before this, like you virtually had your entire year mapped out speaking and traveling, right? You had a couple, what were a couple of the big um, locations where you were traveling to? We just launched Europe February of 2020. So I was out in uh, Prague and Paris, and we're supposed to go back this summer to do Greece, Italy, England. Um, So that was huge. And then South America was supposed to be next week, Buenos Aires. And, um, you know, we're going into South America. So that was huge. I had, we had planned for it last year and then got so overwhelmed in North America that I I bumped it to 2020. Mm -hmm. So now all of that is yeah, I guess postponed. <laughs> but I had just come back when COVID, uh, COVID was, go- uh, we were, had an awareness of it. I was in there in February in Europe and uh, they had just started the rumblings around it and I was over there. It just, everything happened so fast and everything, like literally as far as closures and things. If you talk about self-trust then, if you're in a space of, you know, when COVID happened and everything you have planned out gets shut down, did you have some moments of times of reflection before you kind of jump into full self-trust or was it just like, okay, this is where we are. This is what we're doing. Like, how did you process that time period where things shut down and your entire year changes? Yeah. yeah. Well, as a speaker, I make a living on speaking live. You know? And so yeah. um, it, it was not only my, my financial um, capacity to sustain myself and my children, but, um, I had worked so hard, my you know, to to build this thing and to make yeah. this happen. I had people working for me uh, that I wanted to pay and um, develop, and all these plans. And so, um, yeah, there's no question that there was a time of regrouping, and mm-hmm. there's there about a two week period that I was just literally under the covers, just trying to 
come to terms with and and not sure of even now you know what's going on mm-hmm. and i would i would not be truthful if i didn't say that i it's a it's cyclical um there are still moments where i wake up in the morning and i'm like oh i feel so great and then all of a sudden it hits me and mm-hmm. i go holy shit you know so i think that's I normal but here yeah this yeah yeah like it hits in waves it's kind of yeah. like a death and it is a death it's it you know i mm-hmm. it's very much a mourning for me a morning of what was or what I thought was coming. Yes. Um, and I think for all of us, a morning of old ways, a morning of plans. I know people who've had weddings postponed and, you know, lovers that they can't meet and um, right. lives that they can't continue. My daughter won't have her graded graduation. You know, so all the stuff. We all have a story. Um, but what I will say that is quite honest, Marcia, is that because my root system is is self-trust. Um, it doesn't mean we're not going to have experiences that knock us and right. gosh, we wouldn't be human if we didn't. And in fact, I don't even know if that's desirable. I don't think it is. Yeah. If we didn't have that, I don't, I don't think it would, it would, we'd be motivated to, to grow or expand or do anything or share. And we wouldn't even understand how beautiful things are until, so we know, we know this, but I, I will say that the tools, the tools that I've always taught uh, in theory mm-hmm. became my life support. So self-trust became, um, I, I could bounce back easier. Mm-hmm. So even now, just a couple of days ago, I don't even know what day it is. I think it's Monday. Maybe it was last, it was right before my, my birthday was a couple of days ago. It was right before my birthday. I had a couple of days of just, I call it ebbing and flowing. So flowing is when I'm on the crest of a wave and feeling pretty good and I'm riding things and I feel pretty positive. And ebbing is when I'm not when the, my energy is, is lower. It's not bad or good. It's just yeah. ebbing and flowing. It's, it's contraction and expansion. It's, it's mm-hmm. normal. We all go through this. So I was going through a really ebb, ebb energy where I was contracting. I wanted to not speak. I didn't want to do Facebook lives. I didn't want to coach people, talk to people. I just feeling very lost and unsure. And, um, I honor that space. I have rituals now that honor that because I know it's not just about snapping back and like, how do I get to the surface again? So I have a ritual around how I process that. And then I can move more quickly into my flow. And I, I, I've been talking a lot about this because, um, anyone that I'm in con connected to, um, will tell you that it's not about moving out of those spaces it's understanding that they're part of the human experience and we require them and need them. Like emotion is energy in motion. And so it's meant to move through us. So, and you know, it, the language is important too. I know I'm ranting, but this is such so fresh for me. The language is important too. It's like, if I say uh, we're so connected, we say I'm sad instead of I'm feeling sad or mm-hmm. I'm depressed instead of I feel depressed or I'm Able. scared or I'm worried instead of I'm feeling and so we over-identify with the emotion and we believe that it's us, but an emotion is intended to move through us for the conduit energy in motion. And so I'm really talking a lot about now in my space, how I, I, uh, I process that ebb mm-hmm. so that I can, I can move through the flow. Cause we can get really stuck in that space. Well, there's the thing is, is that I have, I mean, I, I have sometimes where I completely relate to what you're saying. I, feel like I've, I've got it. I'm, I'm like, I'm going, it feels good. And then all of a sudden something happens in my life personally. And I'm like, Oh crap. Like I've got to just, I've got to deal with, and it's serious. And it's, and then all of a sudden it brings me down and it's a case of 
there are times where I, and I love how you said ebb and flow. There are times where I feel like down here and I'm, and I know I have the tools to bring myself back, but it's not about snapping back. It's about honoring that I am there and that's okay. And a lot of times I learn a lot about myself in those moments. They're not bad or good. I've, I just learned staying there is a choice. That's the, the, like staying in that low spot, not trying to find ways to move through. And that's a choice. And, and I know that, and I honor that because for many years, that's where I stayed. Yeah. That's where I stayed. So I understand that. That's I love how you describe that. I think it's beautiful. You are going to be teaching that in your masterclass. Do I have that? I'll make sure I have that information for people. Yeah. Just on Facebook, I have a, a couple of group. If you join spiritual G spot, there's a free five day masterclass in there. And the videos are in there. Nice, nice, nice. I will make sure that that is there. I mean, I have so much that we could chat about and I also want to honor your time because I know that I know this, this took some work for us to do and I'm so grateful for your time. I have a couple of quick questions that I want to ask you before we wrap up. And it is, um, one of the things as far as what impact do you want to make in this world? What kind of impact do you want to make? Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, and this goes back to the legacy question. I, I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time thinking about that growing up. Like, what's the, what do you want to be on your tombstone? I used to even teach that. It was, used to be part of my, my first workshops. Yeah. To be honest, Marsha, I, I don't focus on that anymore. What I focus on is living the highest and fullest expression of myself, full stop. Nice. I, I'm not... I'm not like, I want to reach 1 million people or I want to, I, I don't, because like I said, or just organically, my life has never flowed that way. Mm-hmm. When I'm true to myself and in alignment with what that is and, and daring to live honestly from that space, then everything kind of falls where it may, the, the, mm-hmm. it magnetizes the people, the opportunities, the impact. But I don't, I don't intend for an impact because I feel like that can skew my, how I show up. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? You know, oh, a lot of sense. Yeah. So I, I get, it goes back to that, that original um, piece around, you know, I, I, my message is never like, I never post thinking, what do people need to hear? Or, or where's the gap or where's the pain point? I'm sharing the most honest part of my journey. So my impact is really, if anything, for people to see, a woman who is a model of possibility living her highest expression of herself so that they, so that they might. And that's all I have to, that's all I focus on is just me doing that. And that takes a lot. (laughs) That takes a a lot. It does. So that takes a lot of self-trust, go back to self-trust. And it takes a lot of um, not getting caught up in the noise of everything else that's out there. I know we spoke about that before I recorded, but I just want to say one thing there is that being the highest expression of yourself is a really powerful thing to say. I love it. You, You will organically be an impact because you are being the best version of yourself. You will, it'll organically happen to be an impact as opposed to going out to impact. And just by doing that, by you being you, so many other women, again, go back to the mirror, see what's possible in you. And that on its own creates impact, but it's not going out um, from ego sense of trying to be an impact. Yes. And I think it's really, I I do have to say this, uh, Marcia, because I I had another viral, uh, viral video after this one. And 
it was actually speaking just about this because it was like, okay, so now that you've had all this success, mm-hmm. now that you're on the other side of this and everybody loves you, you have all this opportunity, now what? And my second viral video was about the fact that it, you can have like, you know, a billion people tell you you're amazing. You can have all the opportunity. You could stand on stages with Liz Gilbert and you can have all that. But at the end of the day, truly, I come back to my bed and my pillow and I put my head down and I think to myself, it is, does this, is this me? Like, is this really me? Am I, I mean, I lived most of my life as a, as a, as a facade, you know, trying to be what I thought the world wanted me to be. And and the masquerade, yeah. And so we look at numbers, we look at you know how many likes we get, we look at success from a monetary perspective, we look at how many clients we get, whatever it is mm-hmm. as markers of success. And I had a very successful speaking career before Too Much Woman, but it wasn't it wasn't me. And my life and my speaking wasn't a true reflection of me. I always held myself back. I always curated myself to show up in a way that I thought most people would understand and like and accept and appreciate. And then I would go to sleep at night and feel so out of alignment because I wasn't really being myself. And so what I want to say to your point is that um, the, I, what I value more than anything is the courage, goes back to courage, to, to, to share who I am as closely as I can, as honestly as I can in terms of what's true for me and not worry about, are people going to get it? Are people going to be upset? Are people going to reject me? Are they going to criticize me? That really is success for me. That's the definition of success for me. I love that. Not, Not all the people, not all the accolades even. It doesn't, no, I, I mean, it's, that is complete hundred percent alignment from who I know you to be and, and who you are. And I think that that is absolutely beautiful. And I, I really am grateful that you clarified that and how you explained it is beautiful. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that part specifically because there's a big, there's a big aha moment there. And I think that because it's so interesting how um, you speak for, you know, 23, 24 years and feel so out of alignment, even though there's success there by industry standards. And then you have a moment before you're doing a speaking gig where you literally throw out your speech and follow the alignment of self-trust and the message write this the talk that you that you do and it goes the way that it does so it's like you go from not self-trusting for all of that time to doing it once to going yeah doing it this way and i just love that's why you can teach on that you can't teach on something you haven't lived i that's like to the core of what i believe you cannot teach on something you haven't lived and you basically lived years of not trusting yourself to then trusting yourself. And now you can teach on like the impact that that has had in your life. Thank you. That, that has, that has been, um, the involuntary mm-hmm. message of my work. And I say involuntary because it it's frightening and I'm not going to lie and say that, you know, I'm on the other side that I've crossed, you know, the no other side. line that yeah, there is <laughs> no, there's no end. You know, it's funny every, every day, even a couple of days ago, I posted something and, you know, I had a bunch of people saying, holy shit, I can't believe you. I can't even remember what it was. I'm just, I'm constantly now, I'm almost addicted to 
pushing the boundary for myself mm-hmm. just to Love see it. because I'm discovering there's so many parts of myself that I'm like, I don't think I should really talk about. And then I, I, I do. And I realize that that is being the highest expression of myself is always going to feel a little bit like my knees are knocking and I wouldn't have it any other way. I can't go back. I can't go back inside the egg. I can't go back inside the cocoon. I can't go back to a life where I'm living and conforming to a standard that feels like it's, it's less of me. I, I can't do it. I, I won't, I won't do it. I love, I love that you said that. And is it, um, I am, I'm very vulnerable when I share at times. And I know there have been some posts where I feel like, yeah, I nailed this one. And then there's other ones where I'm like, okay, I feel a little nauseous, but I know this <laughs> is what I should be saying. And I should yeah. send. Like it's just, yeah. but it's, I feel this like, oh my gosh, this, uh, what is, what are people going to think? And then I'm like, yeah. oh, this is the one you actually have to post. Like yeah. if you're feeling that, this is the one you actually have to post. Yeah. I will say one, one little caveat for me, this, this is, and this is for me. Um, and when I, it's whether I'm coaching because I do speaker coaching or one of the, the rules that I follow for myself and that I share with my clients that I really feel strongly about is because I know that Brené Brown talks about vulnerability and suddenly we have this onslaught of people saying everything and airing everything and talking about everything. And it's almost like there are moments where I'm cringing going, Oh my God, I, like, you know, it's, unco- it's not, no, so my, 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 I guess the, you know, the bumper that I kind of hold myself to is I want to know, I want to make sure that I'm on the other side of my story. And what I mean by that is a lot of times people share from that, that place and they're, they haven't moved away. So they don't have the perspective of that experience. And so we often share from that really, really vulnerable place, which is beautiful. But when we're still in it, it can be very, uh, it's not as helpful. And, um, I don't know if I'm, I'm expressing. So when I'm coaching people, particularly with speaking, if you're going to share on any kind of platform to at least be a little bit removed from the experience, to be able to look back and say, this was my experience and to share vulnerably about it, but not mm-hmm. to still be in, I call it the toilet bowl experience. <laughs> like for me, you know, those toilet, bowl, like those toilet bowl moments where you're like hugging the toilet bowl and you're crying on the bathroom floor and you're like, Oh my God, this is so hard. Like, you never want to speak from that place because you have no perspective. So it doesn't really serve anything except to garner, you know, pity. And sometimes it's what we want, right? We were like, listen to me, but it shouldn't be, I mean, I shouldn't, shouldn't say shouldn't. Um, for me, I don't think it's helpful to expose that. Like, to, on I, no, no. Um, maybe no. that's something you call a friend for or a, get some professional help, but it's very helpful when you can share that when you're a little bit outside of the experience is that oh you're talking to the like to me i how i explain it is in it and on the story so when you're in it and you are reliving all of the specifics of the details of things that happened and and the emotions and it feels horrible but you can't pull anything out of that that can help someone else through like i think of lisa nichols when she speaks and that if you, I, this always has stuck with me. If you were taking your listeners on a roller coaster ride, don't take them to the bottom and leave them there. Like your, your job is to pull them through. And so if you're in it to the point that it's so vulnerable, negative, and you can't see the perspective piece, yeah. then ma- that's not where you share from. That's not, not 
No, you're not ready. And it's okay. But on it, I always say in it or on it, on it is that you have the perspective of yes, these, yes, I was on the floor. Yes. I had these moments where it was absolutely horrible. And this is what I learned. So there's something to pull from that. So I just think that that's a, I love that you said that. I think I love that you said that because there is also this the rash of vulnerability right now where it's like, yeah, no, no, no. I read some and I'm like, no, no, no. Oh, oh yeah. Like, yeah. That's call a friend moment. That's a, that's a call a friend moment right? because you can't come back, right? Like you can't, yes, it's hard to share online, but you can't come back when you have, like when you throw some of that stuff yeah. out, it's a, it's a tough. Yeah. Thing. And particularly if for those who are, you know, who are coaches or in some sort of leadership role and, um, you know, our credibility is, might be impacted if we, if we don't have perspective. So it's just something to think about. No, I think that's beautiful. Um, there's so much, so much value in everything that you have said, and I will make sure that all of your information is available for people to find you online and to share and what you have. I have one, do you have anything else you'd like to share with us today before I ask your last question? No, let's, I'm dying for the last question. What is it? Bring it. What, what lesson in life are you most grateful for? What lesson in life are you most grateful for? Hmm. Um, there's so many things. I, I will say what's mo- most present right now is, um, I, and I think it's most present because yesterday was Mother's Day. I'm the mother of two teens mm-hmm. and I'm, here I am traveling the world and um, I've been swept up in my, my movement and my purpose and, and beyond that, beyond even that, um, in myself, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've come to a point where I am rediscovering myself. It's kind of like falling in love. You know, when you fall in love with someone and you're obsessed with them and you think about them all the time, you want to call them and text them. And yeah. like, that's how I am with myself. And I've been like that for the past couple of years where I've given myself permission and I'm like, it's like a mad love affair. And I, I spend a lot of time reading and, 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 um, following my pleasure. And, and so there's a lot of, there are a lot of old stories. There's an old narrative that I have that continues to pop up that says, you're a mother, (laughs) your kids need you. Um, or, you know, be, be more responsible. So I think one of the biggest lessons for me has been that, um, the way that I, I serve, not just them, but my tribe, I have a beautiful tribe of over 40,000. Mm-hmm. So the, the best way to be of service really is, is to take care of number one. And there's a lot of lip service around that. You know, a lot of people say you need to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can help anyone else. But I don't think we really believe it. I think, especially in the personal growth world, a lot of it is about, you know, service, give, and it's important, but we've got to, you know, fill from, uh, serve from a, a full cup or, or serve from the overflow. And I continuously struggle with that because I, I always wanted to be a good person. The highest aspiration I had for my whole life was to be a good person. And I had martyrs who raised me. There were wonderful people who would give their shirt off their back for other people. And that's all I ever wanted to be. That's all I wanted my kids to be. We're good kids. Mm-hmm. But what I understand is I, I, the best gift that I could give anyone is again, it comes back to living the fullest and high ex- expression of myself. And if I can do that, my kids watch me and they, it gives them permission to do that. My parents, my friends. And so I am feeling less guilty about um, saying no to people. Mm-hmm. Um, 
even if it's, it's coffee dates with people. I mean, not now, but you know, not responding to emails right away. Um, I, I just understand that I need to honor my highest expression. So that's, that's really been the biggest lesson. That is so beautiful. And I, I love that you said that as a single mom with teens is the fact that like when you give yourself permission to do that, you are showing them that they can do the same for themselves as well. That's a lesson that they will take from that, like from then on, as opposed to the martyr of I, my job is to take care of them. And that's the only thing I can do, which then tells them that it's a message subconsciously. It leaves them that they, they, they don't matter as they get older because their job is to take care of other people. And it's and also that, and also wait, I, this is important because, and also that their job is to make me happy. See, it's yes. both ways so that if I, if I, if I, and I, I really am learning this is that if I say to them, you know, you're my whole life, I've used this language. You're my whole life. I live for you. I would, I was at a, a funeral a couple of years ago and I remember in the eulogy, they said, you know, my, my mother was the most wonderful woman. She lived for her family. Mm-hmm. Like she never sat down at the dinner table. She was always up serving other people and cooking. And people were like, oh, isn't that, isn't that so wonderful? She lived for her family. Well, now, now my kids are responsible for my happiness. And I, my, as I was raised by a single mother and I didn't pursue my dream initially, which was to move to New York City because I didn't want to leave her. I thought I was responsible mm-hmm. for her happiness. And so I think the the best gift that we can give anyone is to take care of our own happiness, to tell them, Hey, you know what? You're off the hook. How about we make a deal instead of the old relationship paradigm, whether it's parent, child or lovers or whatever friends is I'll take care of you. You take care of me. Mm -hmm. But the new, the new paradigm for me is I'll take care of me. If you'll take care of you for each other, for each other, I'll be responsible for my own happiness. You take care of yours. And that is where we'll meet. We'll meet in that space. I just, I, I think that is an absolutely stunningly beautiful thing to say and very powerful. You cannot make any relationship. Relationship takes two parts. And it's, I always say this, but you can't put two broken parts in to fix, make one good part. It requires people to take care of themselves first. So that is the lesson that you have learned and that you apply. And actually it's one thing to say, sure, I've learned that lesson, but you apply it on a regular basis. Hey, I've learned lots of things that I don't do. So let's be real. Exactly. Right? <laughs> so to do it and actually apply it into your life on a regular basis, I think it's I think it's absolutely beautiful. I think it's really, really powerful. And I just I'm so honored that you are here today to speak to us and I'm so grateful that our paths crossed when they did and just so grateful for you thank you so much Gina thank you thank you Marsha thank you for this opportunity and I I am so glad that we crossed paths as I said to you before I I I love the work that you do and I love that you're so thoughtful about it and intentional so thank you for being the light that you are thank you thank you thank you Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.